be honest. Do you look at any of the draft grades, kind of like it's a report card coming out? You know, the only report card I look at is really wins and losses at the end of the season. Perfect scenario would be to get an A in the draft and get an A-plus in the regular season and, and through the playoffs. You know, we try not to overreact. You know, I've learned that from the best. And Ozzy, you got to trust the process. And then then you don't have to necessarily panic and trade up to get somebody because there's probably going to be a guy that falls down to you that you like very much. Not only did Mink miss the first round pick, now we know that even if Epinesa had made it to our second round pick, we still weren't picking him. So that just shows <laughs> you that Mink's draft analysis is something that nobody should really pay attention to. So yeah, well, we've always felt that way anyways. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of things that I'll read on the website, but if he starts talking about the draft, it's probably just gonna get passed over. <laughs> Welcome into the lounge. The draft is still still feels pretty fresh. So we're yeah. bringing in we're bringing in the guy behind the draft, or at least one of the, the central figures here, General Manager Eric DaCosta, joined us to break it all down, give us the behind the scenes scoop on what he was thinking throughout the whole process. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it does, the, the, the guests don't get any bigger than this, having the man who uh, was behind the draft uh, just a few days after it. So before we do that, we want to make sure that fans know there's only one truck strong enough to partner with the Lounge and the Ravens Podcast Network, and that's Ram Trucks, the back-to-back Motor Trend Truck of the Year. The Ram 1500 offers an available Ram Box cargo management system, four-corner air suspension, and a huge amount of rear leg grip. <laughs> when properly equipped, the Ram 3500 is a heavy-duty workhorse that boasts a 1,000 pounds of diesel torque. Go to Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer and take advantage of the great offers going on right now. So thanks to our friends at Ram. Um, and we're not going to read any emails this week because we, we've got a lot to talk about with Eric. So uh, we're going to read some emails in the next podcast later this week. Uh, so send in your emails to the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. And without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into that interview. All right. Well, Eric, thanks for coming on with us. And uh, I got to start with this. Obviously, you've heard in Aussie we trust. Have you seen the new trending hashtag is in DaCosta we trust? <laughs> okay. Have you seen it? No, I, I mean, I haven't really seen it. Uh, although, you know, when you've got three kids and they're on social media, you do see some pretty strange things, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I try to stay off that stuff as much as I can. Uh, so, you know, I haven't really spent too much time perusing social media and hashtags and things like that. <laughs> well, uh, is there any way you could get Truz tattooed across your chest? Uh, you know, I don't know if I really want to, if I can pull it off. I think some guys can pull it off. <laughs> and, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I think Lamar is one of those guys. But, you know, I'm on the, I'm, I'll am i be 50 years old next year. And I'm not really sure that someone at that age, 50 years old, can pull that off on their chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do want to say congrats on an awesome draft, man. I mean, really exciting stuff. The fans, the pundits, everybody's really raving about this draft. You got Mel Kuyper's only A that he handed out. Be honest. Do you look at any of the any of the draft grades kind of like it's a report card coming out? Uh, you know, I think when I was younger, I used to spend more time looking at that kind of stuff. Now, you know, after 25 years or so, 
you know, the only report card I look at is really wins and losses at the end of the season. That's all I really care about. That's the only thing that really drives me right now is, is just winning football games. So, you know, some years you get an A and your team plays like a C. Another year you get a C and your team plays like an A+. plus. So, to me, perfect scenario would be to get an A in the draft and get an A-plus in the regular season and, and through the playoffs. All right, so Eric, we're going to dive into all the different players, but just some bigger picture questions to kind of start here. Who was a pick that you were most surprised that that player was available once you got on the clock? You know, I'd probably say J.K. Dobbins just because, you know, he's a really talented player. I understand some people have, you know, there's so much. It seems like the analytics community is just fascinated with the idea of running backs and what's their value and what's their worth, either in free agency or, you know, in the draft. But, you know, as you just look at the player and you look at his skill set, you look at his production and you look at the level he did it at, um, and you see the individual position specifics that he has and the critical factors, I would say that I was kind of surprised that he fell down to the uh, 55th pick. You, you talked about how you thought maybe he could even go in the first round. Was he somebody in the first round – that you thought about taking when you're at 28, and then obviously you you know you obviously ended up taking Patrick Queen, but was Dobbins even in the mix a full round earlier? Well, you know there were four running backs that we thought had you know the potential to be first round type guys, and uh, you know that was you know that was Dobbins and Edwards, Hilaire and Swift and uh, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. All four of those guys we felt like were really talented. And then after those two guys, you had a couple other guys that we thought were really talented as well. Really three other guys with Moss, uh, Akers, and, uh, and Dylan. So we saw seven running backs that we thought were really talented guys. And there were some others as well. Um, but, you know, we felt the strong, the first round was very strong this year. We weren't sure if a running back would go in the first round, but in just assessing the level of talent that those four guys had, especially, we thought that they were all first round type picks. Which which pick had you the most nervous when you were when it was coming up to you and you're like, oh my God, I can't I I just pray to God nobody takes this guy right before we do. <laughs> uh you know, I think uh Duvernay might have been one of those picks just because, you know, I think the wide receiver board was such that, you know, we had guys sequenced in all the various rounds. Um, but he was really the guy in the third round that we were most excited about possibly taking at that point. So that would be a guy, you know, I think, um, I think Malik, you know, to get him at the end of the third round, we sweated that out, you know, uh, or midway through the third round, we sweated that pick out as, you know, thinking he had a chance to come in for us and be a starting linebacker at some point. So, you know, you, you basically, it's, it's funny, but you basically agonize over every pick if you've got a guy that you want to pick. And so as they, you know, as the picks come off and you get closer and you get closer and you get closer, every pick really feels the same. You're not sure he's going to be there. And it's a bad feeling when somebody comes in and takes your guy when you get swooped. That's a bad feeling. And you never forget it. And I can go back 10, 15 years and remember those guys that get swooped you know, taken from you. And, and that's a scar that never leaves. So it's not a good feeling, 
But on the flip side, it's a great feeling when there's a guy there that you love and that you covet who just falls out of the sky to you and you're able to pick him. So you kind of lead into the next question. Were, were there any scars that you got from this year's draft? <laughs> uh, no, the only scar that, that I really got was I was, I was, I was slicing some bread <laughs> Thursday and I cut my finger. I wasn't paying attention. I was cutting a bagel for my son and I, I, I sliced my finger. Not too bad. It could have been bad, but it wasn't. Uh, there was a little bit of blood loss. I put a band-aid <laughs> on it and I went back to work. <laughs> you're nice. the you're Quite the king pain. of the draft weekend injuries. I mean, you had the torn Achilles a few years ago. Now you have the the finger yeah. injury day of. Yeah. Well, you know, we've had. It seems like um, you're right about that, Garrett. And and so um, a few years ago, my uh, my son Jackson was running on Easter Sunday right before the draft and fell on a. Uh, a laser gun and it cut his face and he had to get four stitches. And then two years ago on the eve of the draft, I was having dinner with my wife and my mother-in-law and my sons were sleeping over someone's house. And we got a phone call that my older son, Michael had fallen off a trampoline and broken his wrist in two places. Oh! And then this year, I have to say we had another accident that required stitches and my son Jackson, uh, you know, sliced his finger and he had to get stitches. And fortunately, Dr. Tucker was able to stitch him up and get him, you know, back to work. He didn't miss any virtual schooling, but uh, <laughs> we've had, it seems like this time of year, every year we've had some traumatic injuries that have happened and uh, hopefully next year is, is the exception. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. So we, we got to ask you, I mean, with Patrick Queen, how big of a coup does that feel like? I mean, to get a player of that quality at the biggest need or, or one of the biggest needs that you have and not have to give up anything to move up, you know, when a lot of people thought you might, does that just feel like a coup when you made that pick? You know, I think we just try to be as patient, uh, you know, in the board and let the board come to us. You know, we try not to over overreact or, you know, to anything that might happen. And, you know, I've learned that from the best in Ozzy. And, you know, I've seen it so many times over the years where he would just wait and that player would just kind of parachute down <laughs> at his feet. And so, you know, you got to trust the process and there's something called consensus bias that we study. And the gist of it is that people have a tendency to think that everybody else sees the board and sees the players just like you do. Um, and, and that's not usually the case. So if you can kind of wrap your fingers around that a little bit, that there is going to be some volatility and players are going to get taken outside that you haven't ranked quite as highly then, then you don't have to necessarily panic and trade up to get somebody because there's probably going to be a guy that falls down to you that you like very much. That's interesting. Did you find this year, like maybe that you can shut that out? There was a There's a theory that existed basically that a lot of times scouts go and you're at these pro days and there's a lot of conversations that are taking place between them and that sometimes it can be a bit of a confirmation bias, I guess. Everyone says, oh, I like this guy, I like this guy. Did you find that not having that 
led to any sort of that teams had different boards than compared to most years? And do you kind of have to tell your scouts, like, shut out the outside world from a standpoint of evaluation and what the mock drafts say and just evaluate the players so that we're not all coming up with the same the same grades, so to speak? Yeah, I would think that, you know, we, we went back and forth as to what might happen this year. I kind of felt like the lack of information or the lack of, uh, you know, coverage, as much coverage based on things might create a little bit more of an irrational market, you know, where you see these random players getting selected at different spots. And I think in some cases we saw that in the first round. I didn't necessarily see it as much in the second round. And I think one of the reasons for that is at the end of the first night, there's so much there's so much written about best available players and the guys that are still there. And it's like, you see these guys just come off the board, pick after pick after pick in the second. But then when you get to the third round and pretty much for the rest of the draft, you start to see more random selection take place. So, you know, I don't think this is probably as traditional of a draft in terms of players coming off as we expected. Uh, I still think that it's, probably more predictable than it was 15 years ago, maybe, but not as much probably as it has been the last four, five, six, seven years. The the two guys who are most popular projections to you at 28 were either Queen or Kenneth Murray. Did you go into the draft feeling pretty good that you'd have a chance to get one of those two guys? Well, I don't like to think of it like that only because then you set yourself up for disappointment and failure. So what we try to do is come up with five players that we think we have a realistic chance of getting. And then will we be happy with all five players, you know? And so that's what I spend most of my time with that clump of players. And so what we try to look at is if we're picking 28, there's a realistic possibility that our selection is going to come from the sequence, our sequence of 20 to about 25 in the sequence of players that we have rated based on historical data that we have. So I look at those four or five players between, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and, and spend most of my time on those five guys trying to figure out what that order should be and how these guys fit, who's the best selection for us. And if you can do that, and have a comfort level with all five guys, and I think you sleep at night. When you start to get in trouble is as you start to look at that and you only have 20 players or 21 players that you like because the indication will be that your pick is probably going to come from about 20, 21, 22 in your sequence. The average is at 28 is probably 22. So based on that, you better be happy with those players. And, you know, some years you are and some years you aren't. And so – when you see a team like us trade back, oftentimes it means that we don't like our options and we're going to trade back and maybe get some additional picks and then like a guy. So that's kind of where we stood. But with Queen and Murray, you know, we love both guys, but we loved other guys too. And we had about four or five or six guys that we felt were really qualified to be the pick. I know you said that the trade lines were pretty quiet when you were coming up to the pick. Uh, once you had queen on the board was it uh all right we love this guy he's high in our sequence you know it would take a sweetheart of a deal for us to move away 
Well, I, you know, I think you have to just, you never want to look at these things, you know, in a vacuum. And so, you know, every offer sort of stands by itself and you have to consider that offer. So you never want to get into a situation where you're always tied to a guy and say, if this guy's there, we're picking him. I mean, unless you think the guy's going to be Lawrence Taylor, you know, <laughs> right. Chase Young was there. We were picking Chase Young trading <laughs> away. But, you know, I think that hypothetically, what if somebody had offered us three first round picks, right. I'm up to pick 28. We probably would have considered that. So, I think you just have to assess each trade for what it is. Look at it. You know, we try to plan. One of my jobs prior to the draft is coming up with, you know, basically strategic possibilities, you know, uh, scenarios that we can look at with teams that they might offer, where we want to go back to, what clump of players we're interested in trading back and still getting. So all those things sort of factor in when we talk about trading at each pick, whether it's, you know, 28, 55, 60, 106, whatever that might be, we're looking at what we want to do with that pick. Who are the players that we're definitely going to pick? Who are the players that we would consider moving away from? And if we do, what do we hope to achieve value-wise by making a trade back? One more question on trades. On draft night, on the first night, when C.D. Lamb started to fall a little bit, he gets to 16 and then 17. You know, I think the chatter started on social media as well, whether you could move up and get him. Was he somebody that you at all considered moving up for and, and at 17, or would it have likely had to have taken him getting into, say, the 20s to consider moving up for a guy like that? You know, obviously, CD is a great player. We thought there were some really good players in this draft to receive a position. You know, we loved Justin Jefferson. We loved Henry Ruggs. We loved uh, Jerry Judy, all those guys. You know, we loved uh, Ayuk, T. Higgins. We, we felt like this was a really strong group of receivers. So, um, you know, you consider everything, as I said, and you look at the players and you kind of assess who's still available and you make your decisions based off of that. I think that in this year's class, we felt like we had a realistic chance to address the receiver position in the second round and or the third round or the fourth round or even the fifth or sixth round, which we did. So, you know, I think that you're trying to build a, a team. You're not trying to build a team with one player. You're trying to build a team with as many good players as you can. And you've got to assess the draft, the strengths and weaknesses of the draft. And not only the strengths and weaknesses, but the value of the players as to when you think you can pick those players and make your decisions based off of that. All right, let's talk a little bit about Patrick Queen, the player. What, what did you think the first time that you flipped on the tape of him and does he remind you at all or or very much of Devin White, you know, who he followed at LSU? Well, he's got a smaller sample size of play. But what right. we saw was a guy that was very, very fast, a strong, explosive tackler, excellent sideline to sideline, you know, outstanding in space, outstanding cover guy, and an excellent blitzer. Uh, instinctive, made a lot of plays and played big in big games. So, you know, I'm hesitant to make a lot of comparisons to players. I think his game stands by itself. But he's got an NFL skill set. He's got the tools to help us. We interviewed him at the Combine. We were very impressed with his interview. And we think this is a guy that can come in and help our football team on defense right away in a lot of different ways. So I know our coaches were really excited about him. When you get a guy like him, a 
could call him a DNA match because our coaches and our scouts all felt really strongly about Patrick. So it makes it easy as an evaluator and as a decision maker to pick a guy like that. Eric, would you say if he had played in more games that he would have probably been drafted quite a bit higher? I mean, in one hand, people were knocking him because, oh, he wasn't a starter, but, you know, until his junior year. But on the other hand, that kind of helped us, I feel like, in that it made him available at 28. You know, I don't know the answer to that. So, you know, I just know that he was a guy we liked, and I don't know how other teams felt about him. I think people liked him, but he was there when we picked. So, you know, it was really good for us that he was there. He really – he was the best player by far when we made that pick. But he also filled a huge need on our football team. So, to me, when you get a guy that's the very best player and a huge need, it's an A+. plus. And what'd you think of Lamar's uh, when he went live on Instagram, called him Ray Lewis Jr. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, that's, uh, you know, Lamar put that out there. So, you know, we'll, <laughs> but, uh, I think that, you know, Ray Lewis, I was <laughs> to start in 1996 when, when Ray came in and, you know, Ray is just, you know, a player that just played at a different level than just about anybody I've ever seen. So, I think we can all aspire to be the Ray Lewis of our profession. And, um, you know, if Patrick can even approach that, I think it would be wonderful. You know, I think, you know, playing in this city, hopefully he can develop a, you know, a, a relationship with a guy like Ray would be awesome to learn from a guy like Ray as amazing as Ray was and as amazing as Ray still is to this city. I think it would be fantastic. And uh, if he could even approach that level, if Patrick could even approach that level, we'd all be very blessed. You kind of mentioned this when you called Patrick, but was there a special feeling for you drafting a first round inside linebacker after, you know, Ozzy had taken Ray and then CJ Mosley, and now you kind of had your crack at it? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think Baltimore in some respects is, when people think about us, they think about defense, right? And they think about linebackers and they think about the, the rugged style of play and all that. And so for me, you know, drafting Hollywood last year was wonderful and great and exciting. Uh, you know, that was kind of a different, different type of pick. I think this <laughs> harkens back to the old school Ravens. We took a linebacker and a linebacker from the SEC. And I think this guy really is going to fit our culture really well bring a lot to the team. All right, so I got to ask you about one guy in particular, Eric, because I had him in my Ravens seven-round mock draft, and that's A.J. Epinesa, who I thought, just watching him, like, just looked like a Raven, right? So as the second round's unfolding, and I'm seeing Epinesa slide, and I'm like, oh, man. Like, here we go. We could get Queen and Epinesa. So I got to ask you, when the Bills took him at 54, was there any part of you that was like, you've got to be kidding me? You know what? I think we were just ecstatic to get uh, KJ. Um, JK, KJ, JK. <laughs> we were ecstatic to get him. I think, uh, you know, he was the, by far, by far the highest rated guy that we had on the board. And, and we kind of felt like he just fell out of the sky right to us for the type of team that we are to get a running back like that. And I think Epinesa is a guy that's a talented guy. And obviously, you know, the Ravens, we've got a great relationship with people at Iowa. And so, you know, he's a player that we liked. 
But to get a guy like Dobbins in the second round with his talent and his skill set and, and, and us being such a running team, there's no question in my mind that he would have been the pick for us regardless in a guy that we really did covet. That's the best answer that we're going to have the entire podcast because here's, here's what that just did. That just oh, basically said so I had Queen in the mock at 28. So I nailed that. So basically not only did Mink miss the first round pick, now we know that even if Epinesa had made it to our second round pick, we still weren't picking him. So that just shows <laughs> you that Mink's draft analysis is something that nobody should really pay attention to. So thank Whoa. you so much for that. Yeah, well, we've always felt that way anyways. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that I'll read on the website, but if it starts talking about the draft, it's probably just going to get passed over. <laughs> Wait you. a second. I, I, I took Hayden Hurst. I took Hayden Hurst. <laughs> I know and this I was is, high on Lamar. Th- this is, the, you know, the, he's got to go back to the old hits because nothing new is. is and Orlando. Uh, resonating so uh big miss for him anyway um with Dobbins does he remind you of Ray Rice because I've been watching him for the past several years at Ohio State and I remember seeing him as as a freshman there and felt like this guy looks like Ray Rice probably in part because he's you know a shorter running back stout guy um, he's taken it number 55 just like Ray so do you feel like he could the be situation. a similar What's that? The, situ- the situation they both yeah, had situation. a veteran. You got a veteran running back who's already in place as a starter, which is similar to what Ray came. Is in. he is he wearing twenty seven? Do we know that? Is he I don't know. saw that on social media. I was like, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. You would have a better sense of that. You do you approve the numbers? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen that. So you know, I, I think uh, I think he's a guy that is uh, strong. He's a darting guy. He's got very very good speed through the line of scrimmage. He's explosive. He's able to run low to the ground with good balance. He's a good knee bender. He's got excellent lateral agility, ability to make people miss. But what I like most about him is if he's got a crease, he's gone. He's, he's, he's a guy that has an extra gear to the second and third levels of the defense, and, and he can make big plays, and he did that in every game this year. So he's got a little bit of a game-breaker style to him. I think he's a guy that you can – he runs low, he's strong, he's physical, he, he, can, he can take a hit. I think in the passing game, he's got capable hands. I think he was not used quite as much in the passing game. But, you know, compared to Ray Rice, I mean, Ray Rice wasn't used in the passing game either very much in college. And then he got to us and he was like a revelation for us in the passing game. So this is a talented guy. I think he's going to fit in really well style-wise. And he's going to be a guy that will really help uh, Mark and Gus and Justice. And now I think we've got four running backs. And us being the type of team we are, I think just adding another guy with his skill set makes us a very tough team to defend. Yeah, do you basically look at this? I, I was surprised with the running back pick just because you have good guys that are already in place. Um, and it's hard to, you know, there's one ball to go around. But it, Dobbins is so good, obviously, that you, you just can't pass them up. How do you view what happens with a, like Gus and Justice? As you, do you just think of it as, we run the ball more than any other team and you got to have a really good stable of running backs and, and we'll find ways that ultimately Gus Edwards and Justice Hill are involved in the offense. You know, I would equate it to us, um, you know, last year having the tight ends that we had the three tight ends. And then, you know, Greg did an amazing job of taking those tight ends and really creating something special that made us very tough for defenses to play. And now we've got the four running backs and they all do different things. Well, 
And it just makes us, I think, a really, really well-rounded team that's tough to defend. And these guys all can do different things. They should be fresh uh, from four quarters. I think we protect ourselves uh, in, in case of injuries and different things like that. And it just it fortifies us. It makes us stronger. And it gives us a guy with home run potential. Had you guys kind of been looking for that stud running back in the draft for a little while? You know, we're trying to find studs at every position, Ryan, honestly. But to get a guy like this, I think where we did is, is a good move, you know, for us. And I know some people were probably frustrated that we didn't take a wide receiver there, an offensive lineman there. But it's still about talent. This league is still about talent and adding talent and stacking talent and talent and talent. And we just felt like this guy, based on who we are as a football team and based on what we know about him, this guy was a great fit. And so, you know, I think we're blessed. We saw the impact that uh, that Mark had this year, and we've seen what Gus has been able to do the last couple of years. And we saw glimpses of Justice's potential last year, especially towards the end of the year as he started to make some plays for us. And we're thrilled with what we have there now at the position. We've got four guys that we feel we can play and that can make plays for us. And they're going to make us better. They're going to make Lamar better. They're going to make the receivers better. And they're going to make the offense better. So, you know, I think – and they're going to make our defense better in a lot of different ways. And so we're excited about that. And we can't wait to get started with those guys. So let's move on through some of the other picks. In the third round, you get Justin Matabuke. Um, at a BK. Um, and there was a lot of talk about pass rush coming into this draft, and then you get an interior pass rusher in him. Did you view the interior pass rush basically on equal footing as to an outside pass rusher? Like so often when we talk about pass rush, automatically our minds go to the outside linebacker in that spot. But did you view the interior pass rush as just as big of a priority, and, and was that part of the attraction with Justin? Well, you know, I think we just wanted some guys that, you know, talented players. And we looked at Justin and we saw a guy that had a unique skill set. He's very explosive. He ran a 4.8 at the combine. He's a guy that can get to the passer. He's twitchy. You know, uh, we see players like him on the inside, you know, um, and they just, they can just wreak havoc. You know, you see guys like, you know, Aaron Donald, for instance, and you see when you can get that inside pass rush, what that means, Geno Atkins, those kind of guys, you see what that does. It makes those outside guys even better. So I think Justin's a guy that has talent in his body to be able to be an inside pass rusher. He's twitchy. He's strong with his hands. He plays hard. He's got excellent penetration ability, lateral agility, natural explosive qualities. So we feel like this is a guy that has a chance to develop over time with Joe Cullen coaching him. He can develop as an inside pass rusher and be a really good player for us. Now, Devin DuVernay, uh, DuVernay might have been my favorite pick. Uh, and you guys talked about the speed and wanting speed first and for- foremost at wide receiver. Can you just go into a little bit of that, that thought process and why that was, in particular that trait was so important? Well, he's an explosive guy. He's really, really fast. He's a highly competitive guy with strong hands. I don't think I saw a drop this year. He had over 100 catches. He's really good with the football in his hands. He's a guy that can break tackles. He runs with an angry style. I think he's highly competitive. So, you know, he's just a guy that as I watched this tape, I got excited about him and his potential for us. He's the type of guy that when you watch him play, players 
in general, typically, if you watch enough tape, you get a vibe about them. There's a vibe that they sort of emit. And I would say with Devin, he's an angry football player. I like his style of play. I like his energy. I like his competitive spirit. I like his toughness. And I like his speed. And I think those things translate to Baltimore really well. I think he's a good fit for who we are. And I, I think that he's going to be a guy that's going to help us. Did you like that play where you ran over Grant Delpit? <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I just love a good, tough football player, you know. And I think about guys that we've had, some of our best receivers, and we've had a few here and there. And I think about some of the best guys, and I go back to these highly competitive guys, and their styles are all different. You know, you had a guy like Mace, you had a guy like Steve Smith, you had a guy like Anquan Bolden. They all had totally different games but they were all highly competitive warriors on the football field. And so, and so that's what I see when I watch a guy like Devin, I see some of those same things. Now their styles might be different. The skills might be different. Strengths different, but the mentality that I see, the effort, the drive, the determination, the competitive toughness to me, that reminds me of those guys. So Malik Harrison, he the the I guess the write up or the feeling on him is he's he's kind of your old school downhill thumper of a linebacker. But are people sleeping on his athleticism? I mean, this is a guy who was a was a high school quarterback. Um, is his athleticism being overlooked a little bit? Well, I think people put him in that box because he's big. He's almost two hundred and fifty pounds, you know. So he's got some length. He's got some size. So people want to naturally assume that he's that type of player, that he's a big downhill thumper. And he can do that, but I think he's a little bit more versatile than people give him credit for. He is a good athlete, even a 4.66. He's a good knee bender. He can play in space. He can run. He's got good length. So I think he's a guy that can be a three-down linebacker for us without question. And he played really well this year for Ohio State, had a great season. And we think he complements Patrick Queen very well. We see two guys that should come in and really right away compete to play from day one. And I think that makes us better as a defense. Do you guys like doubling up at a certain position because those guys get to kind of grow up with each other, you know, push each other, battle against each other? Like, you know, we've seen so much success with that at tight end, at wide receiver in years past. Do you, do you really like that? Yeah, you know, I think we've done that in the past, and we would do that if we really like the second guy. So I think it speaks to how much we like Malik. You know, we did that when we took Ben Grubbs, and then we came back and took Marshall Yonda. We did that with Ed Dixon and, and Dennis Pitta, and we did that with Hayden and Mark Andrews. So, you know, I think if we take that second guy, the fan, fans should look at that and say, wow, they must really like this guy because they've already taken a guy at that position. They're taking this guy, so he's got to be by far the highest-rated guy on the board. Interesting. And it, I mean, when you look at some of those past guys that you mentioned, like the guy taking second, like Mark Andrews, for example, has been an incredibly productive player and you got him yeah. a couple of rounds later. Well, you know, Yonda. I mean, Yonda. Yonda's a Hall of Famer. Right, exactly. So I think that that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. So on the O-line, Tyree Phillips and Ben Bredesen. First of all, with Tyree, do you like these guys out of East Mississippi Community College? Last Chance U, Zadarius Smith chance also from you. there. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, this was a guy that I think if, if I had to say one guy that Coach Harbaugh was really a sponsor, you know, the scouts liked him. We did a lot of work on him, but Coach Harbaugh saw this guy back in January or February and really kind of became enthralled with his ability in our offense. 
And so he's a guy that's got size and physicality and strength and natural leverage and different things. He's an underrated athlete. He had a good week at the senior ball and pass protection. We think he has a really good chance to kick inside at guard and be a player for us. And, you know, Coach Harbaugh was really excited about this pick. And he's been talking to me about Phillips now since the combine. And so that was, the guy that was on our radar from the combine. We were excited to get him. We felt like we could get him at the end of the third or the fourth round. There were some other offensive linemen that got picked before we could pick in the third. And at that point, really, the mission was, let's get Phillips. Did you, did you see that, uh, you know, nicknamed Big Country, he said he'll even, he'll shoot a possum, skin it, and eat it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of protein I hear in possum, so. <laughs> and, 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 hey, Ben Bredesen, actually, he's got an interesting story, too, and in that his mom was a dog shower you know, and, and competitive, a competitive dog show. Did you, do you know these things? Like, did you, they, they said that on ESPN. Did you already know the story about his mom showing dogs and throwing the second place medal out the window? Um, well, at least he's not skinning those dogs and eating them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yes, uh, Eric's got the headphones on now. The guys were cutting his grass, so we had to get the headphones out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, Ben Bredesen, uh, what is it you like about him? Um, and do you, do you at all honestly like the, uh, competitive kind of family spirit that it seems like he has? Well, you know, obviously we know a lot about Ben, you know, through our relationship with Michigan, he's played a ton of football. He's a physical guy, tough guy, you know, left guard, fits the Ravens, good size. Uh, you know, he's a guy with experience, highly intelligent, going to be able to pick things up very quickly. And he just kind of fits us. We've had a lot of success in the past with experienced Big Ten offensive linemen who have come in and played for us and played really well. So he's, I think, the next in a long line of those type of guys, and we're excited about him. So is, is Harb sending you any wine? I mean, you got back-to-back offensive linemen that he had to love, Tyree, and then you get a Michigan guy. I mean, that sounds like a bottle of wine to me. <laughs> no, nah, you know, he'll just probably – Toss me a Gatorade or something, you know, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, purple Gatorade. I, just as a note on that, I think that uh, not only were you the GM over the weekend, but you were also our greatest content creator. So we got to give you a pat on the back for that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I feel like um, I've learned a lot about myself in the last month or so, and I have some other skills. You know, I'm not just the guy that picks the players, you know, and so <laughs> – uh, I've come up with some content, you know, maybe I could be a producer at some point. Uh, I'm also a school teacher, uh, <laughs> that I'm pretty good at that. I think I've been fixing stuff, technology, you know, I'm good with it around the house, Wi-Fi issues. I'm good setting up printers and TVs and things in my office. So I have maybe a chance to do some it stuff as well. <laughs> and also I've started doing, uh, you know, my wife, Lacey has starting it started a cooking uh, cooking group, I don't know, on Facebook. And so I have made some videos, which people would be surprised, but you know, <laughs> I am a mixologist and I've, I've, I've created a couple of videos of myself mixing some different cocktails for people. And I think they're, they're going to be highly successful. They're very popular right now. So I think I'm pretty good at it. Wait a second. Are these on YouTube? I am. I'm. <laughs> 
can we put these out? <laughs> they're on Facebook. I think I don't know exactly how they how you can see them, but they're on Facebook. My wife. Okay. There's a couple hundred people on there, so I've uh, you know I think people are excited about my uh, my content, and uh, <laughs> you know that might be something I can do in the future. Well, what was the cocktail of choice after the draft on Saturday? Well, you know it's interesting. You know I've had a couple. <laughs> it's have I've I, I actually have about five or six go-to cocktails, but. Some of my videos, you know, I did a Pisco Sour, which is a Peruvian mm. drink. Um, Egg white. Which I highly, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Got to find, you know, the Pisco, which is hard to find. It's a, it's a Peruvian, uh, it, it's, it's, it's like a uh, brandy. And uh, it's hard to find. You've got to go to a good liquor store. And then, so I made a Pisco Sour for everybody. <laughs> and then the other day, post-draft, I made a, a post-draft, uh, sidecar, which is probably my drink of choice, which That's a good one. is, yeah, which is another, um, you know, brandy cognac type drink with uh, Cointreau and some lemon juice, a little sugar. So, uh, you know, and I, but I've got some, I like a good gimlet every now and then. I like an old fashioned every now and then, you know? Um, so I, you know, yeah. I, I keep doing that. So I've really learned a lot about myself over the last month. And uh, it's been great. And I find out that I have a lot of different skills. And production may be the next thing that I kind of delve into. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, this is the lounge. So I'm pretty sure we just got our bartender. You're, you, <laughs> can, you, you can come hang out in the lounge anytime, Eric. <laughs> okay. That, that actually did make me think of one other thing when you were talking about IT. I had, this, I, I had to wonder, how did Ozzy handle the virtual draft? Because if we're talking about IT experts... I wouldn't put Ozzy on the list. <laughs> no, you know, he was on mute a few times. You know, <laughs> he was. I have to be honest. But so was John. He was on mute a few times, too. You know, and they're, they're doing this. <laughs> and I'm like, Coach, you're on mute. You're on mute. But it, it all worked out. You know, I have to say pretty seamlessly, David McDonald did a great job. You know, he works, uh, you know, over in scouting for us, but in IT, he's a developer, a software developer, and he's a great and valuable resource for me throughout this process and just building out our systems that we use to draft and then the infrastructure, how we want to design the office and all that, getting everything to work. The way it did was amazing. Uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges I think this year for me, you know, was this the, the draft was, was not challenging from the standpoint of running the draft the way we did. The, the hardest part for me was just not sitting, physically sitting next to Oz and, uh, and Pat. And we've sat together for years and years and years, 24 years. And, you know, it, it, it really is. I mean, the conversations that you have when Ozzy was the GM, the conversations we'd have, about players and the strategies. And then when I became GM, the same conversations. So, you know, not having that, you know, was challenging. And, and it probably in some ways made the draft a little bit less enjoyable for me not to be able to spend the time physically with those guys. You know, I, I did call Ozzy. You know, there'd be times where, you know, um, you see this door behind me. That's a closet. And I would go in there because there was a camera over here, the NFL camera, ESPN NFL camera, 
So what I would do, I don't know if you guys be able to see me right now, but I'll show you guys what I would do. So I would take my phone and I would walk over here and I would call Ozzy and I would open up this door and I would go in here. And then I would, and I would make my calls because I didn't like these cameras always staring at me. So that was my, I called it my panic closet instead of a panic, <laughs> panic room. If I wanted the conversation with either Steve or John or Ozzy or whoever it might be, Joe Hortiz or George, I'd go to my closet and make the cell phone call. Even though I was told these cameras had no audio and couldn't actually hear right. me, I just felt more comfortable going into the closet. You didn't, you didn't have a dog sitting at the computer, though, like Belichick. No, I had my dogs. Um, my dogs were here a lot. But my youngest uh, dog, Pepper, she's a black lab puppy. She's not real uh, well-trained right now, and I was afraid she might eat some wires or something mm. and sabotage all the technology. <laughs> so we tried to keep her out of here as much as possible. So, and one of the things that I'm curious about is, uh, you know, one of the symbols, I think, at the end of the draft is, t in typical years, is that we start to smell the cigar smoke, you know, make its way around the building. You know, Steve lighting up the cigar at the end of the draft. Yeah. Uh, he loves the draft, I know. How How... You know, does his involvement at all change, you know, because of the virtual draft and, and how, what was his role in, you know, talking through trades and all the different things that um, go on yeah. on draft weekend? Well, you know, you're right about that. Steve loves the draft and and he wasn't able to be here. So I think from that standpoint, it was challenging. But I think he also immersed himself in the whole process more than ever. And he was on more calls and he and I spoke more on the phone than probably ever before about the draft and strategies and different things. And he had some good ideas and he likes to, to contribute and he's smart and he's got a great mind for strategy and different things. So his input is always invaluable to me and to John. He's a part of the process. So he actually got on zoom and, you know, he handled that pretty well and all the different WebEx calls and different things. And he was involved in a lot of the discussions leading up to the draft. So, it's kind of cool that we could actually do it. And, you know, I think that in, in the case of someone like Ozzy or Steve, to, to see them actually, you know, understand the technology and then actually embrace it and get it to work. I mean, I think if I had to feel bad for anybody, I'd probably feel bad for Steve's IT guy down in Florida because I'm sure <laughs> he had a lot of phone calls from Steve uh, you know, about the technology and why doesn't this work this way or I can't get this to work. But, you know, Steve was really involved and, uh, you know, to have that input, I think is a huge help to me. And, you know, one of the special things about the way that we do the draft is we try to include as many people as possible and really make it a team effort. It's not all about one person. This year, maybe it felt that way because it was virtual and I'm by myself. But in reality, this draft probably – required more people to administer this draft than any other draft we've ever had. That's cool. That's cool. All right. I, I want to talk a little bit more about some of these day three picks with Prochet. At what point did you know, all right, the value's too good. I, I have to trade up and make a move to go get this guy. Yeah. Well, he was a guy that we were, we were considering in the fifth round. We thought maybe we could get him in the sixth round, but we didn't have a six round pick. Uh, I thought there probably wouldn't be a strong chance we'd get him in the seventh round. So, you know, 
he was a guy that we liked as a wideout, but also as a return man. We had a chance to see him down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, catch punts and do all that. And we watched his tape. We got some great information about the kid. We felt really good about his makeup and about his skill set. So it made sense for us to get back in. And, you know, we had acquired that pick uh, from the Steelers for Wormley, who traded this year. And, you know, I was just thinking about it, like, would I trade Chris Wormley for James Prochet? And I said, right now, this guy's got a chance to be our punt returner. He's caught a, a gazillion balls. He's a highly competitive guy. He just wants to win. He's got great hands. He's, 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 a, he's a savvy guy. He's very tough and motivated. So this makes a lot of sense. And I think we're going to have some comp picks next year as well. So to me, it became something that I thought we should do. And at that point, you know, I started a dialogue with Minnesota. They had a million picks <laughs> in, the, in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round. So it just became something that made sense to me to do to get the to get the guy that we wanted yeah minnesota was probably happy they're like i'm running out of players here to pick <laughs> like just yeah. move it to next year yeah we've been in that position before too and after a while you know in some years you just look at the board and you just have no idea who to pick nobody <laughs> nobody really looks that good to you anymore you're so tired you're tired of calling guys on the phone and you just you just don't know how to make the pick so uh, you know, that didn't happen to us this year. In fact, I was trying to get, you know, we saw some good players on the board still in the late sixth, early seventh round. So we were hoping to get a few additional picks. One of the nice things for us to trade up in the seventh was we really did like uh, Stone quite a bit, Geno Stone. And we had gotten a lot of good information about him at Iowa and we liked his tape. We thought he was a guy who would have a chance to come in and play on special teams for us and develop as a safety even though we like our safety group very much, we saw a skill set here that, you know, we've been successful with guys like him in the past. So we really wanted him. But this year, you know, there were three or four other guys as well that we probably would have taken in the seventh round, felt really good about had we had some additional picks. Did you get any of them as undrafted guys? We did. We did. Nice. I can't announce those guys yet because yeah. they haven't taken any kind of physical or anything. So that would be uh, – prohibitive for me to announce these guys but <laughs> i do think that we got you know as i'm looking at my list right now i think we got three or four guys that we might have drafted in the seventh round we got them as free agents wow that's awesome yeah that's awesome yeah some pff i think had geno stone as the biggest steal of the draft like what was everybody daniel jeremiah even on tv was talking about like what happened here what was the rest of the league missing on geno yeah, I don't know. You know, I can't speak to other teams, but yeah. I just know, you know, for us, specifically Joey Cleary, who's a scout for us, he had done all the safeties uh, leading up to the draft, and this was one of his favorite picks, one of his sleepers at that position this year. So I think Joey does a good job, and the fact that he had so much conviction about Gino made me feel really good about the pick. Nice. You can see all my right, kids Eric, so busting in to... here on the draft, Eric. <laughs> he's busted in here on our draft talk what did you have any moments with your kids where you had to be like all right everybody out of the room <laughs> uh yeah we had a couple moments we did we had a couple <laughs> i'll be honest it, it wasn't that the fact that they were coming in here but we had a couple moments because you know we have you know wi-fi here and <laughs> the wi-fi is actually in this closet right here and so 
I have a good connection. The, the one blessing about doing the draft in this room is the Wi-Fi. However, David McDonald, being the IT guy, he was also here throughout the draft to make sure that everything worked. And so he was connected. Well, in other parts of this house, the Wi-Fi is not quite as good. And when the kids are on video games, <laughs> streaming and all that, it crushes the Wi-Fi. So at one point in the draft, David came running in. He said, I've got no Wi-Fi out there. Well, if David doesn't have Wi-Fi, it means everything could just kind of fall apart because he's doing everything for all the other people. He's putting right. the draft board up. He's, 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 he's on all the different calls. He's, a, he's basically the emergency guy in case something happens to me. He can turn a pick in and I'll do all that kind of stuff. So he came running in. And he was like, man, I don't know what's going on. The Wi-Fi is just gone up here. Well, I said, what do you think it could be? And he goes, I don't know. Are your kids playing video games? So <laughs> we go down to the basement, and, and Jackson and Michael are both playing Fortnite and, you know, whatever they're playing. So I had to lower the boom on them and basically be like, guys, you got to get off the video games, okay? There's a million Ravens fans out there that don't want you playing video games right now, I can promise you. So they got off. But, you know, the good thing was, you know, when the draft ended, I saw those guys and I said, hey, boys, guess what? You can start playing Call of Duty now, whatever it is that you guys play. They were all excited. They went running downstairs and they were playing video games. So we got it all worked out. Here's the worst part. They, they could have been playing Hollywood and Madden or something like that, you know, sabotage yeah. from the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, Eric, before we let you go, what was up with the green dinosaur that was on your desk? Yeah, that's my buddy now. Okay. <laughs> that guy, if you guys saw my cocktail videos, you'd see him in those videos. That's, that's Pandemic Pete. That's what his <laughs> nickname is. And that guy, so what happened was, I'll tell you the whole story about Pandemic Pete quickly. <laughs> Lacey was on a Zoom call, okay? And she needed something to hold her phone up. <coughs> so she grabbed Pandemic Pete. Well, that wasn't his name at the time. <laughs> and she was using it to hold her phone up as she did the call. So then I was doing my cocktail videos and Pete happened to be in the video. People liked it. You know, they got this green dinosaur. So he kind of became the good luck charm for me, Pete, <laughs> over the course of the three days. So I had Pete, and it was kind of like, okay, it's a T-Rex, you know. Let's be the dinosaur. Let's be fierce, you know. Let's, let's take this thing, you know. So Pete was with me all weekend, and he became my, you know, my mascot throughout the draft process, pandemic <laughs> Pete. That's awesome. That is awesome. Wait, wait. I have one, one more news. That would be a good one to end on, but I'm going to ruin it with one more. Could Pan? You think you could envision Pandemic Pete signing a veteran outside linebacker at some time here, sometime <laughs> soon? You have to ask Pete. I don't know. You know, right now he's he's out in the kitchen right now on the counter. But you know, I think uh, you have to see. It's hard to say. Um, you know, there were a lot of strange things that happened this 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 week around here with, with, with different things. There were a lot of omens. And at one point, I don't know if I can show you guys this, but so I had the police here all weekend because they were we had security. And so at one point, the police um, 
they, this guy sent me a picture. The policeman sent me a picture in the middle of the night. He said, look what I just found outside your window. And he said, I think they're spying on you. And I'd heard these guys out there, but I had never seen them. I don't know if you guys can see that. But there were oh, these two owls. A couple you owls, see that? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a real picture right outside my office window. And I was afraid these these guys were trying to, you know, steal the draft board or something, you know. like. <laughs> but these guys got caught outside my window. And, you know, the state police were concerned about it enough to investigate. We made sure that they were, in fact, not, you know, like drone owls or anything like that. Exactly. They were real owls, that's my question. Yeah. So, so we caught these guys out there. And... Um, you know, and I named these guys actually. So it's Tony and Debbie for Anthony Fauci and uh, Deborah Burks. I, and, <laughs> but, but these guys are right outside my window, and I heard them this morning, and uh, they seem happy about the draft. So I'm glad about that. Nice. We got pa- pandemic Pete. We got Tony. We got Debbie. <laughs> you we got gotta cocktail send videos. You There's gotta all send sorts them of things to Harbaugh's house. Today. You gotta send them to Harbaugh's house. He's got all the bird houses. That was the other thing. Harbs is a birdhouse yeah. guy, apparently, yeah. or Ingrid, Who somebody. Knew? Who knew? Now Who we knew? know. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, I bet you, if you guys research this, I bet you there's a name for people that collect birdhouses. <laughs> I don't know what that name is, but I bet you there's a name for those people. You know? They're birdhouses. John Harbaugh was a, was a birdhouse collector extraordinaire. You know? <laughs> Nobody. What did you think of his haircut? I can't hear you though. I think the audio's <laughs> bad. Well, it's, you need to send that lawnmower crew over to my house because I could use one. I don't care who it is with the weed whacker, what they're using, I could use it. Just get some clippers. There you, <laughs> you go. Can you can do it yourself. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Congrats again on an awesome draft. We're all excited. All of Baltimore is excited. Congrats, man. All right. Hopefully, see you guys soon. All right. All right we'll be looking thanks. for those Stay cocktail safe. videos. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good stuff from Eric. I feel like, you know, a sidecar is in order after that interview, just to kind of celebrate, put the cherry on top on this draft. Well, I know what I'm doing when I'm done with this is, is I'm going to find the, the cost of cocktail videos. Oh, I've, videos. that's as soon that's the first thing I'm about yes. to hit up Lacey DeCosta with that Facebook friend request. Well, you know that he was impressed at my knowledge of the Pisco Sour. Yeah, that that did leave a good impression on him. Yeah, that the did. Pisco Sour. That's a that's a Christie favorite. Actually, it's got okay. egg white in there, and then it's got that Pisco rum um, and lime. It's a good one. It's a good one. I think I, I, I've had it. I, I'll take that. I mean, really, who am I to turn out a cocktail? Any cocktail, <laughs> quite frankly. Like you said, this is the lounge. This is exactly, lounge. exactly. This is what we're here for: is cocktail talk. Right. All right, so before we go, we want to thank our fans, friends at Ram again. If you've been reading through scouting reports, you know that Ram trucks are the Motor Trend back-to-back truck of the year. The Ram 1500 is a top pick with an available Hemi V8 engine, e-torque hybrid technology, and a 12-inch touchscreen. Plus, it offers a truckload of available features. Same with the hardworking Ram 3500 Heavy Duty. So for generous cash allowances and great lease offers, go to Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer and take advantage of the great deals that are going on right now now so go ahead and get that done like i said we're going to re- read some emails in the episode later this week uh so go ahead and send those in to the lounge at ravens.nfl.net thanks for listening and we'll be back with you later this week as we get kind of a film breakdown we're going to look at the ravens rookie class 
from an X's and O's standpoint, really dive into it with Ken McCusick, who joined us earlier, and a lot of fans really liked having on. So make sure you tune back in on Thursday when we'll drop that pod. Thanks for listening.